You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Mark chapter 1, <clears throat> Mark chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 35 uh, through 39 to start. Um, if you also want to turn to Luke 5, uh, we're going to be over in Luke's gospel today as well. So Mark chapter 1 and then Luke 5. And uh, we started this new series called Blueprints. Each month we're going to look at a, a set of blueprints from the scriptures about different topics and different uh, teachings. Uh, this month it is the blueprints on hearing the voice of God. And so last week we looked at John 10 and the Good Shepherd teaching or discourse when, and talked about what it means to um, recognize God's voice, what it means to uh, be uh, obedient and to his leading as he calls us out, uh, and what it means to eliminate competing or distracting voices, that, that we, don't, we don't follow them, but we actually run from them and, and get away from them so we can fully recognize and focus on the Lord's voice. And so today is the second installment of this blueprint. We're going to talk about making time to hear God speak. Making time to hear God speak. So look at Mark 1, 35 through 39. We'll read that and get into our first point today. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to uh, an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So our first point today there in your bulletin is this. We need to make time in your busiest times. To, to, to hear, to recognize, to receive the voice of God in our lives, we need to make time in our busiest times. Um, we have a saying in our culture, right, the, if, you're, if you're in an event or, uh, or maybe a, a workplace situation or something else and see somebody just kind of sitting around doing nothing, what do we say? Uh, don't just sit there, do something, right? Well, this message is all about don't just do something, sit there. Because we can get really wrapped up in the busyness of our lives, and, and here's, a, here's a, some insight for you. It can even be good busy. Like, it can be busy things that you're doing for the Lord, busy things that you're doing for the kingdom, busy things that you're doing for your family to serve them. We can get really wrapped up in the busyness of our lives, but miss out on needing to take these moments with God so that we can continue to recognize and hear His voice. Like, that's, that's what happened with, with Mary and Martha, right? Jesus shows up at their house. Mary sits at his feet, listening to him, learning from him. Martha's in the kitchen, right? Comes out, Jesus, don't you think it's really unfair that Mary's just sitting there? And if you know that story from the Scriptures, you know that Jesus' response was, Mary's chosen the greatest thing. She's spending time with me. So we, we, have to, we have to flip that script on don't just sit there and do something and talk about don't just do something, sit there. Oswald Cham- Chambers said this, the busyness of things obscures our concentration on God. Never let a hurried lifestyle disturb the relationship of abiding in Him. This is an easy thing to allow, but we must guard against it. 
And how do you not guard against busyness taking over our lives so much so that, that we don't hear the voice of God? Well, even in our most busy of times, we surrender, we carve out time to be with him. If you've got your Bibles open, I want to, work, I want to walk through the day that Jesus has just gone through before we get to that section of verse 35 through 39 we just read. Look at uh, Mark 1, 21. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he, began, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at the teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. So the day begins with Jesus going into the synagogue and teaching. And um, the, historically, the time in the synagogue wasn't 50 minutes on a Sunday. The Holy Spirit operates outside of 11 to 11.50. We're, we're all aware of that, right? And so Jesus would have been in the synagogue for a good portion of the day, teaching. Look at what happens there, uh, beginning in verse 23. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed through the man into a, into a convulsion and then came out of him. So Jesus is teaching. He's been there likely several hours. This man's demon-possessed. He speaks up. Jesus has to deal with the demon, get rid of him, goes on about his teaching. Jump down to verse uh, 30 or 29, if you will. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her, to her bedside, took her by the hand, helped her sit up, and then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. So he leaves the synagogue. He's been teaching all day. He's dealt with this demon-possessed man. He's cast that demon out. He goes to their house, probably thinking, okay, now I can kick my feet up a little bit, have a nice meal. As soon as he enters, Simon's mother-in-law is sick, Jesus. There's a need. And he goes and takes care of it. And then follow along there, beginning of verse 32. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. And so Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But the, because the demons knew, he knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. So the Jesus day ends by not relaxing in the easy chair, by not putting his feet up. It ends with many people being brought to him and the entire town coming out to watch. So let's recap the day. Teaching in the synagogue, likely for many hours. Dealing with a demon-possessed man in the synagogue and handling that issue. Coming home, finding Simon's mother-in-law sick in bed with a fever and being asked immediately to go take care of that. And then all of these dozens, perhaps more people, brought for him to heal and cast out demons and the whole town watching. Let's just state the obvious. If anybody in the, in the entire uh, history of humanity that has ever been born or ever will be born, if anybody had the right to say, I'm going to sleep in the next day, it was Jesus at this moment. I mean, I've had some long days of ministry. You've likely had some long days just in your life of workplace or just being things around your home. Or I don't know that any of us have had the day that was just described there in Mark chapter 1. 
And I know that at the end of that day, what I would be thinking was, the phone is going to silent, the dog is going to stay in the crate a little while longer, like I am sleeping in this morning. But look again at what Mark records in verse 35, before daybreak. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. When, when the, the authors of the scriptures talk about um, daytimes, they often use phrases that deal with certain um, quadrants or certain sections of time. So the phrase that is translated here, before daybreak, some of your translations may say like early the next morning or in the morning, it is a time frame likely between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. That Jesus, having just gone through one of the busiest days of ministry recorded in the Gospels, gets up between 3 and 6 in the morning. Come on, Jesus. Like, we're supposed to follow and mimic and imitate you, according to the Scripture, right? This, this is a toe-stepper. That Jesus, in his most busiest time, intentionally carves out time to go and pray. In, in Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah 50 is one section of Isaiah that's commonly uh, referred to as a section of Isaiah that prophesies or foretells about the coming Messiah. of the coming Messiah. In Isaiah 50 verse 4, it says this, morning by morning he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. The coming Messiah would be, and now is evidenced in Mark, a person who would not sleep in, not even after his busiest of days, but who would morning by morning be awakened by the Lord, by the Father, to have his will given to the Messiah. And not only does he wake up early, but look again at what he says, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Not only does he get up early, but he goes and finds a place of solitude. This is really important because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all uh, record things very differently. Uh, John is, is very much not a chronological uh, account of the life of Jesus. And so there's some things that we kind of have to piece together from a mixture of the, of the four Gospels. And so Matthew chapter 4 records Jesus and the disciples moving from uh, going into Galilee and visiting Nazareth and Capernaum and onward. That corresponds with the travel that's talked about in Mark chapter 1, okay? So just, just keep following along with me. So essentially what Matthew records in Matthew 4 is what goes on in Mark 1, and later on in Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching on the, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and so forth, what he says is, when he's teaching about prayer, Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. This is important because what we find here is Jesus does in Mark 1 what he teaches in Matthew 6. And I, and I made this statement, I think, last week or maybe the week before. Jesus never asks anything of us but what he was not willing to do himself. Jesus doesn't ask us to forgive in any different way than he was a forgiver. Jesus doesn't ask us to have love and compassion for people, even our enemies, in any different way other than he had love and compassion for his enemies. Jesus doesn't ask us to pray to carve out time with the Father in any other way than what he wasn't willing to do himself. 
In the midst of his busiest day, he gets up between the hours of three and six and goes and finds a place of solitude, of isolation, to pray and to hear from the Father. There'll be some nitpickers that go, well, but, you know, in Matthew 6, he says, go to your closet or go to your room. And It was very likely within this house that they were staying, there was no place of isolation Because remember what we read, the entire town came out the night before to see what was going on. When they do finally find him, again, they're in verse 37. They find him, they say, everybody's looking for you. And so the the important point is not to get legalistic and say, oh, it's got to be a closet or it's got to be a room or it's got to be this or that. The important point is to say, look at what Jesus does. He goes and finds a place to be isolated, to be alone, to be free of distractions so that he can make time to hear the voice of the Father. Even on a morning when no one would have said to Jesus anything if he decided to sleep till 10. If you and I want to hear and experience the voice of God, we've got to carve out time to hear the voice of God, even in our busiest moments. Perhaps maybe especially in our busiest moments. It's said of Martin Luther that he had an individual ask him about uh, his day that was upcoming and all the things that Martin Luther had to do in that day. And it said that he told the individual that he had so much to do that day that he would spend the first three hours of it in prayer. That he had so many things on his agenda, he recognized to step into the agenda without seeking time before the Father would ruin him and would ruin that day. We need to make time to hear the voice of God, especially in our busiest times. Turn over to Luke chapter 5 for our second point today. And our second point is we make time when everyone else wants your time. We make time when everyone else wants your time. Look at Luke 5 verses 15 and 16. Jesus has just healed a man with leprosy. He's been going through the villages preaching and teaching and healing And he had told the man not to go and tell anyone, but verse 15 records this. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. We've already seen this a little bit in Mark. The entire town came out the night before, brought all these people that needed this, and and we're looking for them the next morning. We see it here in a little different perspective, but again, the crowds are beginning to come around him. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus in his time right now. And what Luke records is he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I don't think it's a stretch to think that in our culture, Jesus would be shamed for not meeting people's needs. Jesus, how dare you withdraw to go be by yourself in prayer when all these crowds are here needing you. And, and, and we approach our lives the same way, don't we? How dare you take any time for any spiritual discipline? How, how dare you take any time just for yourself or your own well-being? Don't you know there's overtime work to be had? Don't you know there's a, there's a list a mile long in your home of stuff that has to get done? We really need you to cancel that vacation because something's come up and you've got to be here. Your kid will have another concert. Like our culture pushes and pushes and pushes to not take any time for ourselves and particularly not to take any spiritual time for ourselves. 
And yet Jesus, when the crowds are pressing against him, Luke says, often withdrew for a time of prayer. I think it's really important here, the way Luke says this, it's not that Jesus withdrew often for prayer to not meet the needs of the crowds. He often withdrew for prayer so that he might effectively meet the needs of the crowds. In other words, he withdrew for this time to to be with the Lord, to hear uh, the Father's voice, to to not only make petitions and supplications for others, but to take time. Everywhere in the scriptures that we read about pray or praying or prayer, it is implied that that time is not just us talking, but is also us listening. And so for Jesus, it's the same thing. He withdrew so that he could hear the voice of the Father, and he did that so that he could effectively meet the needs of the crowd. You have, you have in your own life, it, it might not be ministry needs, it might be personal needs or family needs or business needs or whatever the case may be, but everybody has or, or will have all these moments where the needs of the crowds, figuratively, uh, are so great in your life that you feel overwhelmed. And what we learn from Jesus as believers in Christ is that in those moments when everybody wants a piece of us, a best thing for us to do is to withdraw and pray. Let me, let me tell you the hardest thing Christians have, uh, one of the hardest things ha- Christians have to say, no. Now, typically we need to say no, but. <laughs> no, I can't right now, but I can meet that need later this afternoon or tomorrow or, or next week or whatever the case. I, we, we, don't, we don't say no for the, for the purpose of just shirking responsibilities in our lives or in our families, in our homes, but we say no so that we can effectively do it. Because you know as well as I do, when the crowds are pressing in and everybody wants a piece of you, your service and your assistance to them goes from doing something that's very joyful to, all right, I'll put this stuff up and I'll trick this and I'll run this over to your house and I'll get it done because I got to get it done withdraw withdraw find a place of solitude find a place of isolation find a place to to not only come before the father in prayer and supplications but find a place to come before the father to seek his voice to hear it to recognize it to let him lead you particularly when you're being wanted and pulled in every direction you might just find that what the Father tells you is it's okay to say no. It's okay to say not yet. You might even find that what the Father tells you is it's okay for you to ask somebody else to do it. That's a hard one, isn't it? Look over in Luke 6 for our third point today. Luke 6, beginning of verse 12. <clears throat> we'll go through verses 16. Our third point is this, that we make time to hear his voice when decisions are needed. Beginning verse 12, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up onto a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. There goes Jesus again. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. 
There's a moment in Jesus' life, in his ministry, when he separates 12 men from the larger group of disciples that he has, and he bestows upon them this title or this position of an apostle. This is also recorded in Matthew 10. This is also recorded in Mark 3. But I got to tell you, there are a few differences in their perspectives. Mark simply records in Mark 3, Jesus going up onto a mountain, appointing the 12, giving them the authority to preach and to cast out demons, and that's it. Matthew doesn't record Jesus going up on a mountain at all, nor does he, like Mark, have anything to say about him praying. But he has Jesus giving the 12 and appointing them with authority to preach and heal the sick and raise the dead and cure the lepers and cast out demons. But he says, only do this to the lost sheep of Israel or the lost house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentile towns yet. Don't go to the Gentile people yet. Do this only to Israel. Mark does not say anything about that. Luke does not say anything about that. Luke is the only one of the three to specifically record Jesus as praying before this decision. Why is that the case? Well, again, the, three, the, the four Gospels are all written from different perspectives, from different uh, understandings of who Jesus was and what his life was about, and sometimes even to different audiences. And Luke, in his Gospel, seems to have an affection for Jesus praying. In his Gospel, he records eight times where Jesus prayed specifically, or withdrew specifically, or, or set apart a time specifically to pray and go before the Father. Matthew records it twice, records it three times. So twice as much as the other two Gospels, Luke records this action of Jesus. Similarly, when he writes the book of Acts, which tells the story of the church itself, Luke has a very a similar affection for the prayers of the church. In Acts 13, for example, Barnabas and Saul are commissioned to go out into ministry. And what the first few verses of Acts 13 tell us is that the church was gathered and they were worshiping and they were fasting and they were praying together in advance of and then in the act of sending out Barnabas and Saul for service. And so we may not know why Luke records the way he does or why Matthew and Mark don't record the same way, but we can choose to focus here on what Luke does and what he focuses on in this event is one day soon afterward Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and prayed to God all night he had a big decision forthcoming these 12 apostles, all, all of the disciples that stayed with Jesus would, would end up going out and, and being important. But these 12 would be the beginning of the church. These would be the beginning of the spread of the gospel. These would be the ones who would specifically carry his authority and his power out and then begin to see it played out and displayed in their lives and then bestowed upon others. And Jesus spent time with God before he made that decision. Matter of fact, he spent all night with him. I said last week, I believe, John's gospel in particular paints this interdependence that Jesus had with the Father. John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not my own will. John 7, 16, my message is not my own, Jesus says. It comes from God who sent me, and on and on and on in John's gospel. And so this obviously raises, at least for me, this very important question. If Jesus, the Son of God, fully human, fully God himself, had to have this kind of dependence upon the Father, 
and had to carve out time with the Father to hear his voice this way. How much more do I need that? How much more do you need that? How much more, particularly in decision-making, do, do we need to do whatever it takes, rising up early, staying up all night, finding a secluded place, an isolated place, whatever the case may be? How much more individually do we need to do that in our lives if Jesus needed to do this for his ministry in his life? How much more do we need to do it collectively as a church? I mean, let, let's, just, let's just throw this out here. What do you suppose the response would be if, if the, the search committee in a few weeks brings back a candidate for the youth minister position and says, we're going to recommend this individual? And my response to that was, okay, we're going to have an all-night prayer service on Friday night, and we're not going to say yes to this person until God says to every one of us that are in that prayer meeting that that's the person for the job. And yet, that's what Jesus did. That's what the early church did. They gathered, they fasted, they prayed, they worshiped because they wanted to 100% know that the decision they were making was God's decision. Now listen, you can take this to an extreme. I don't think, you know, if you're getting up in the morning and you're trying to decide what to wear to work, that you need to stand in front of your closet and go, okay, God, I'm going to pray until you tell me which blazer to wear. Like, God gave you common sense in the mind for a reason. But certainly, more often than not, when we look to make decisions in our lives, we who are followers of Jesus need to be carving out time and not make a decision until we absolutely know for sure that God's in it. Now, I will tell you, testimony-wise from my own personal life, even that doesn't mean it's going to go the way you think it's going to go. Because in 2014, I was absolutely convinced that God had said, go to Honduras. And in 2016, we were coming back to Kentucky. And having had time to look back on it and work through all of that and work through, I, I no longer am at the place that I was, which was, man, did I hear the voice of God wrong? Did I uproot from Arizona to Honduras and put my family through all that and, because I missed it? I, I know now that that's not true. God was just doing things in a different way than I imagined that he was doing things. But in those months coming back to Kentucky, I promise you, I had that conversation in my head about a hundred times, if not more. As we seek to hear the voice of God, there are going to be times that we get his will and we get his guidance. And even then, maybe it doesn't go exactly how we imagined. But if we're faithful to continue to carve that out, he will be faithful to let us know exactly what he is doing and was doing. Jack Deere has a book titled Surprised by the Voice of God, and he says this way of living that Jesus was doing where he was seeking to hear God's voice did not originate with Jesus. It has always been God's idea for his servants from the Old Testament to the New. And in every instance of his life, Jesus presents himself as a servant under orders in unbroken communion with the Father. Shouldn't that be the pattern for our lives as well? I said last week that I know that this can be a tricky subject. Because you start telling people that you're hearing the voice of God, and you might be met with a lot of things. I would say to you that this maybe is similar to when Jesus would heal people or cast out a demon and say, don't go tell everybody. 
Maybe you don't tell everybody, but God will tell you who you can tell. But I know it's, it's difficult because sometimes we say things like this. Well, I've, I've never heard the voice of God. Or I've never had God speak to me. Or, you know, I, I'm probably am just not that important enough that God does this in my life. I'm, I'm just an ordinary, normal person. In the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 17, there's a man named Elijah. And God tells Elijah, go to the king and tell him there's going to be no rain until you, Elijah, pray for it. And so Elijah does. And several years later, he comes back and he tells the king that there's going to be rain. But before that happens, he, he has this big, this big moment in uh, 1 Kings 18. And he challenges the prophets of the false god Baal and, in this fire-making ceremony. And, and he defeats them. And in, in 1 Kings 18, beginning verse 41, he starts to pray for rain as God had instructed him to. And the rain came. And we, we read that story out of 1 Kings and probably think, man, Elijah super super spiritual dude extra gifting from the lord like way up here on the platform right and yet this is what james writes about elijah in his new testament letter in chapter 5 verse 17 elijah was as human as we are and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall none fell for three and a half years And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. For every time that you've ever thought or said, or, I apologize, maybe even had somebody say to you, God's not interested in talking to you that way. God's not interested in you hearing his voice. Elijah was a man like us. Just as human as you and me. Not super spiritual, not up on a platform, just a guy who when God said, go tell the king this, he yielded himself. Just a guy who when God said, now go tell the king this and pray for rain, he surrendered himself. He submitted himself. I want you to know, and, 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 and my guess is you probably know this on an intellectual level, most of you. I want you to know it on an experiential level. God does his greatest work with normal people. People like us who are willing to surrender, who are willing to yield, who are willing to step out on faith. Let us carve out time when we're at our busiest. Let us carve out time when everybody wants a piece of our time. Let us carve out time when we need the Lord's guidance and decision. And let's hear and recognize and follow the voice of God. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pvcfrankfurt at gmail.com.